Good morning and welcome to the Church of the Beloved. Um, we actually have a few people here today uh, at Cervantes. You want to say hi? Y'all? <laughs> uh, these are the few members, a few of the members of our reopening team. And these are folks who are running through the protocols, the processes that we're going to be putting in place so that we can once again gather together. It's going to be limited in number until all the restrictions are lifted. But uh, I want to mention this to everyone listening in to give you hope. Now, we've been spending the last few months on the gospel according to Hebrews. And I, and I just want to remind folks who are tuning in, uh, listening, watching, Hebrews was intended to be a source of, of encouragement, of, of hope for persecuted Christians, Jewish Christians, who were, were seriously considering leaving the faith, leaving their faith in our Redeemer, returning to the rites and the rituals that would never save them. And I want to mention that we have the regathering team here preparing because in a similar fashion, I want to be, that to be a source of encouragement and of hope for all our isolated and lonely beloved who are considering giving up on their faith, who are considering giving up on this community, on this family. Because we're not going to neglect gathering together because we want to be an encouragement to one another. We want to stir each other up to love and good works. I want to mention, for those of you who are tuning in online, uh, for the first time, we want to get you connected to our beloved community. So uh, please text COTB to 97000, or you can go online to cotb.life. Uh, so we can do that, get you connected, uh, as well as send you updates, including details about what reopening will look like for the folks of Beloved. Now, uh, I do want to take a moment to acknowledge the murders that happened this past week in Atlanta. In Atlanta. You know, this past year has seen an increase in the reporting of violent crimes against uh, black lives that matter, as well as increase in reporting in violence, as well as an increase in violence in general uh, against other minority groups, including Asians. My personal opinion is that this is partly because of the fact that truth has become subjective. And dialogue is often just rejected. Loving your neighbor seems to be limited to, to people like yourself instead of intended, as it's intended for all of those created in the image of God. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27, which is intended to speak very deliberately to the sin of rejecting Christ, I, I think it's something that we can definitely practically learn from. It says, therefore, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You see, our God is a God whose grace redeems the elect. And our God is simultaneously a God uh, who will pass judgment on the truly impenitent. Those who call themselves Christian, those who say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, we cannot simply say it with our mouths. We have to show it with our lives. Because faith without works is not faith. Faith without actions is not faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. The pastor writes this. For you have need of endurance so that the will, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Our call to do the will of God, to keep on keeping on. And we do, 
We do this not only because of the promise God's given us, but because of God's love for us. Out of my love for God, I do. And I endure. Now, my wife Suzette recorded, uh, and thank you for leading us in a time of corporate prayer about the violence that just happened in Georgia. I'll tell you, Grace, Eugenia, and myself, we independently and simultaneously realized that the original topic that we were going to focus on for corporate prayer, it had to be swapped for what happened. And I want to encourage everyone to pray, to continue to pray about this issue, the issues of violence, of anger that we're seeing today in this world, but don't stop there. I don't know what it's going to look like for you to forgive those who sin against you, to reconcile, to heal, but I'm going to ask you to seek it out. You know, the Christian Standard Bible is one of the translations I like to use. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. I want to thank you for that allowing me that tangent. I think it was important. I want to turn to today's passage. I do want to focus on that. I, I, I think it's important to mention something here. Um, you're going to be seeing a lot more of me behind the pulpit. I'm going to take on, taking on more of the re- preaching responsibilities. Next week is Pastor James's final week with us. And I'll be honest with you. I do love the opportunity this gives me to see how good God is. Because you see, every morning I come to God and say, God, what is it that I'm going to be preaching on Sunday? And, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that the only way that I am able to do anything or say anything from this pulpit is because of God. Because he is the source of my strength. He is the source of this message. So like I do every morning, I'm going to ask you guys to come with me as we humbly come to God and ask him to speak through me now with prayer. Let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, beloved Son of God, Holy Spirit, our triune God who reigns in perfect community, please hear me now. And may the words of my mouth be a conduit of your truth alone, God. Hear our prayer. Amen. All right, so let's get into this. The Church of the Beloved exists to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know that they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone, right? We are a gospel-centered church. We are wholly dependent on, or strive to be wholly dependent on prayer, and we strive to build relationships with each other and passionately worship God together. This is our vision, and these are our values as a church. But We've been having some difficulties living this out over the past year, and for a number of good reasons. Our founding pastor left due to uh, spiritual abuse. He was the abuser. And I have to say to the ones who suffered under that abuse, I am constantly praying that you might continue to, to heal from those pastors. And, and I am so sorry that you had to endure that failure. Our other campus pastors, they all stepped away because they no longer felt that they were called to serve in that capacity. And there was a little drama around that. The elders, they stepped down because they believed it was for the betterment of our church to no longer serve as our governing authority. And there was a little drama around that as well. 
our non-pastoral staff, other than Eugenia, uh, who is our operations director, they're all in the process of transitioning out because they feel that they've been called to serve in other ways. Thank God there's been no drama with that. Pastor Otua is in the process of, of planting his own church soon. He's gathering a core team now. Pastor James is going to be returning to SoCal so that he and Stephanie can better love and care for their two adopted sons. And to be truly transparent, I, I, I do believe that the pandemic helped. It helped us continue to exist as a church because all of you here and all of you who are listening online, you gave us the time, you gave us grace as we try to figure out what in the world are we going to do next. You know, the quarantine afforded us the opportunity to enter into a holding pattern as we figured things out. But here's the thing. We is quickly becoming just me and Eugenia. And no offense to you, Jonah, I, I, you're doing an amazing job stepping in as the uh, interim worship director. And I know that when we get our ducks in a row and we officially post for the worship director position, you're going to want to put your name in the hat, and you absolutely should. But in a little while, uh, we, it's just going to be me, the Wicker Park campus pastor, and by default, the de facto interim to the interim uh, lead pastor or senior pastor, and then Eugenia, who does everything else. Um, so as I was preparing for today's message, as we close out our gospel according to Hebrews, the sermon series that we started back in January, I can't believe it's been three months already, looking at chapter 13, this final chapter of this sermon letter from an anonymous pastor, it became really apparent to me which part of this chapter uh, God was leading me to focus on. Verses 1 to 6, by the way, they're, they're amazing. And, and I would encourage and suggest that if you can, take a moment, whether it's on your own or in your small group. And if you're not in a small group now, email info at cotb.life. We'd love to get you connected to one. But I want to recommend that you dive into those guidelines, those reminders of what it looks like to love your sisters and brothers in Christ, to live a life that honors and glorifies God. Even the closing verses, verses 18 to 25 in this chapter, they're, they're a lot of fun to unpack, I think, as well, because here the pastor of this sermon letter is showing a little bit of himself uh, with a prayer that drives home the point of this sermon letter, as well as a little P.S. at the end. But verses 7 to 17 this is the passage that, that God pushed in my face. See, these verses speak to what godly leaders should look like. Uh, and, and what we as a congregation, and I'm absolutely including myself in this, what we as a church of the beloved must do in response to godly leadership. Because this church has been established and created by God. Beloved does not exist because of any one person or persons. The church of the beloved will continue on because our devotion and our faithfulness as a body of believers is to God. So I want to take a moment today just to consider the work of the Pastoral Search Committee, the PSC. Now we're going to continue and we must continue to pray that they might have wisdom and that they may continue in their diligent search for a pastoral candidate to present to our church. And, and, and we, as beloved members, covenant members, we need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for discernment about who God has called to lead us as a church. And that's what I really want to talk about today. Now, back in uh, 1992, Gatorade 
aired a commercial with uh, Michael Jordan. He was doing amazing things on the basketball court, as he does. He was drinking Gatorade, and they had this original jingle. It was simply called Be Like Mike. All right? And when it came out, it really didn't matter whether or not you enjoyed basketball. It didn't matter whether or not you were from Chicago. You wanted to be like Michael Jordan because there was nobody like Michael Jordan. He was the greatest. He is the greatest, uh, I think. Uh, no one can match him. And I actually remember going to a record store and buying the single on a cassette tape. It basically had four versions of the same song, two on each side, and I would listen to it on my Sony Walkman while I was working out. And I'd have to pause every seven to eight minutes because I had to flip the tape around and play it again so I could do the workout. And I'll tell you, this is typically the time where I would think to insert a joke uh, about how old I am. I'm not. Uh, and explain how, you know, a cassette tape, for those of you who were born after the year 2000, you know, is a former means of listening to music, sharing messages. But I'm realizing I actually don't need to do that because cassette tapes are, are, are making a comeback. Um, and all I can say to that is, why? They're ridiculous. Anyway, uh, this desire to be like someone that we admire, it's not new. It's biblical. You know, if you turn to verse 7 of today's passage, the pastor says, imitate their faith. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, 17. Um, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, it's natural to want to imitate and emulate our heroes and our heroines. It's expected to want to live like those that we admire until, that is, those that we admire just disillusion us until our heroes and our heroines, um, they fail. Until our leaders show their fallibility. So I come to today's passage with an understanding that humans are imperfect, but our Jesus is perfect. Our Jesus is better. Our Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit via the pen of the pastor to the Hebrews, provides us a few things to consider when looking for godly examples of leadership. And the first one I want to point to is in verse 7. It says there, um, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The words remember, spoke, outcome, these are words that are really pointing to a past life. These are words that, that tells me that the pastor of Hebrews is pointing to leaders that have left this world. And therefore, we can look at the totality of their faith lived out, using their lives as examples to follow. Now, though this verse does lead, uh, uh, point to those leaders who have passed on, so, so, so we can take a full measure of the lives they've lived, we can still apply this to leaders among us now. So the first point I want to highlight from verse 7 really has two parts. We need a leader or a pastor who preaches the word of God and who lives the word of God. All right? In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter explains that those who are given the responsibility to teach or to speak must speak as one who speaks God's words. Because humans are fallible, God is not. So the words must be from God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes to the believers in Thessalonica that the, that the gospel had come to the sisters and the brothers there in word and in power. 
The gospel was being exhorted and the gospel was being experienced. The gospel was being lived and the gospel was being learned. We are called as a church global as well as the church of the beloved to consider what is it that's being preached right now. What is it that our leaders are presenting to us? And if we turn to verse 9, we can see a little bit what it should be. It says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And as I was reading this passage, I, I tried to imagine what exactly was being taught during this time that the pastor of Hebrews very specifically calls out you know, foodies. You know, did, did the foodie culture that we have today rival the foodie culture of that time based on what this was written in the passage? I don't know, maybe potentially. So be careful, foodies. Anyway, the intended readers of this sermon letter, they were being reminded that Jesus is always the same. You can see that in verse 8. Jesus has always been and will always be better. And the gospel-transformed leader must be those who understand that the best way to stay away from the crazy is to stick with the Christ. The best way to avoid the strange is to seek the Savior. And we need a leader who is absolutely faithful to the gospel, the authentic word of God. So that's the first thing to discern in regards to who is called to be this church of the beloved leader or pastor. The next logical question to that first point to look for a pastor who preaches the word of God and who lives out the word of God is how. How do we wisely discern that the preacher called to lead the church of the beloved is speaking and seeking the true gospel, is preaching and living out the word of God? To understand that, I want to turn to verses 11 to 13 in today's passage. It says this, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let's go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach, reproach he endured. You know, Jewish law, if you look at it, includes a lot of information, a lot of sacrifices. You know, from your daily sin offerings to the annual major one, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And in Leviticus, you can read about how the aftermath of that offering, the remnants, how they were supposed to be managed. Because they didn't just go into the trash. The carcass, the dung, everything was carried outside the city or the temple, outside of the gates and utterly destroyed. You know, it, it, this conjures an image in my mind of back in the day when we used to have communion in person on Communion Sunday. Uh, at the end, after service, we would look at all the leftover bread and juice and we would think, do, do, can we eat this? Is it sacrilegious to dump it down the drain? What, what, what are we going to do? So typically, we'd literally just cry down the hallway, say, does anyone want the bread or juice? And usually Eric Beagle would come and pick it all up. Um, you see, the, the remnants of the sacrifice here were treated as garbage, as rubbish. And not just simply thrown out, but utterly separated from the community and totally destroyed. And this passage is showing us is that that was how Jesus was treated when he suffered 
for our sake. Joseph, Jesus was crucified outside the camp, outside the city, so that he w- we would not have to be. He suffered crucifixion so that we could have redemption outside the camp. Jesus' perfect sacrifice for our benefit. Jesus' blood poured out for our sanctification. This was done in the most embarrassing and shameful way outside the walls. And, and we're called in verse 13 to go to Jesus. Go to him outside the camp. We're called to bear the same shame for the sake of our Savior. We're called to separate from the old law, from the, from the world at large. Be different because of Christ. We are called not to desire to be king, but rather to desire to be a servant outside the camp. So how do we discern whether a pastor is called to lead our church? We look for the person who preaches the word of God. We look for the person who lives the word of God. And we discern that by considering whether that pastor is willing to bear Christ's shame. Whether that person's life is that of someone who's seeking to be a king wrongly or seeking to be a servant. Because that's the type of leader Jesus wants us to imitate. Someone we imitate because they are imitating Christ. I want to acknowledge uh, that for more than a few folks who have been Christian uh, for a long time, maybe grew up in church. This is a pretty obvious and pretty simple sermon. And, and to you, I say thanks. Thanks for the indulgence and your patience. If nothing else, being reminded of these truths as presented in the gospel, that, that's not a bad thing. It just might be a, a boring thing. So I want to get to the last point, our application point for today. See, the covenant members of the body of, uh, the covenant members, the body of believers at the Church of the Beloved, we're reminded through today's passage that godly leadership, godly leaders are worthy of imitation, right? And we as a church are called to identify that pastor, those leaders, by determining whether they are, they are preaching the true gospel and living the true gospel. Whether or not they are basically practicing what they preach. And it's something we can see if that leader is obeying our call. And I say our call, not just theirs, our call to go to Jesus outside the camp. To be willing to live boldly separated from the world for the sake of the world. I, I, want to, I want to imitate someone who has an eternal perspective, a view for the hope we strive for. And my last point is found in verse 17. It says there, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage. You know, when my wife and I, Suzette, uh, we first moved back to Chicago from San Francisco, we both had a feeling that God had something planned for us. Well, really, we had a hope, a desperate hope, that there was a reason God was ripping us away from our family and our friends in San Francisco to move to Chicago. We didn't know what it was, but there was a hope, a reason. There is a reason. It happens to be this church. This church of the beloved is the reason we're here. We've been called. I, I mention this because I often get messages uh, from friends that ask, you know, how I'm doing, especially with this new and very unexpected role of pastor, which is a whole other story. And I want to share with you what I tell every single one of those who ask me this question. I tell them 
This church is amazing. The women and the men of this church, they are so unbelievably encouraging. The, the notes I get, the, the random emails, the unexpected reminders that I'm being prayed for. Suzette, maybe a little bit more before the pandemic, but she also gets words of encouragement from our congregation. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I do not serve as pastor for this reason. That was never a condition for my call. That was never going to be the source of my passion for the pulpit. But to be very transparent with you, it does make it a joy for me to continue on. It, it makes it so much easier for me to consider how I can spend every single morning praying for individual members of this church that I am called to be a shepherd of. It makes it viable for me to keep my full-time job outside the church while keeping my full-time job as pastor and preacher for our beloved family. There's this old saying, uh, I know that every married man can fully appreciate, and if you don't know it, listen, happy wife, happy life. And I'll tell you this, I think a very similar concept works for the church. A happy minister for the, in, in the gospel means a happy church for the gospel. You see, this first starts with the term obey, submit. And I know that there are many for whom this just rubs you the wrong way. Unfortunately, there are more than a few, including within our own church, who have had horrible experiences with the church and with its leadership. If you've been abused, you've been mistreated, you've been maligned by pastors and other church leaders, I get it. I fully understand that you see this verse and say, no, I can't. See, because the call to submit, the call to obey the authority, authority established in the church by God is supposed to be because that authority is caring for you. It's supposed, this authority is supposed to keep watch over your soul. This authority is supposed to take very seriously the responsibility placed on their shoulders to love every one of his beloved they failed. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team. You can slowly make your way up here. I want to start to wrap up here. Godly leaders are worthy of imitation because they are preaching and living out the gospel. And we can see that, they're, that very readily because they are heeding the call of Christ to step outside the camp, to, to bear Christ's shame. And when we find that pastor, if you're able, please consider encouraging that person as much as you have been an encouragement to me and continue to be. But for those of you who are not able, this is not a call to encourage. It's not a requirement. It's not a mandate. It's not a command. Because I know, unfortunately, that there are a lot of people who have suffered under the leadership of men who prioritize their own personal needs, who prioritize their own ego over the needs of the congregation, over the, the, the call of the gospel. Pastors or leaders who decided that they needed to get more of the glory, more of the, the, the fame, and not give God all the glory. So if you've had that, had that bad taste in your mouth as a result, and, it, and, and, and submission, obedience, encouragement is just not something that you can do, it's okay. If this is you, allow yourself to be beloved. Let yourself be shepherded. Allow yourself to be cared for, please. But I do ask you this. Consider this. When the day comes, 
when you begin to realize that the person at the pulpit is someone that you want to imitate, because you see the transformative work of the Spirit in their life, when you realize that that pastor to the people is, the, is preaching a life that they're living, and you want to be like that person, because that person is being like Christ, then tell them. Because I'll tell you this, it'll be okay that you may have ignored every single email, every single text, every single Slack announcement, every single WhatsApp message. It'll be okay that you may have never come to a prayer meeting, never gone to a small group. It'll be totally okay that the only time you show up for anything is for a free meal. That's okay. Because your word of encouragement, whenever it comes, this is what's going to allow a pastor to do this with joy, not with groaning. And together, we'll, we'll go to Christ outside the camp.